Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Look at Matthew um, chapter 14 in verse 22 is a story that is probably the most famous story of Peter or Simon. And it is the story of when Peter walked on the water, when Jesus walked on the water. We starts in Luke, Matthew 14 verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And he had sent the multitudes away. Then he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. The Bible is, is telling us the scenario. It's painting the picture for us. Jesus is on the mountain by himself. Meanwhile, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Uh, one of the versions, I think it's ESV, the ESV version, I like the way it says it. It says that, it says that they were making progress painfully. They were painfully making progress. If that's not a description of me, also me, I don't know what it is. I'm making progress, but man, it's slow. I'm making progress, but it's painful. It seems like I take three steps forward and, and two and a half steps, two and three quarter steps back. I mean, they, are, they, they have been rowing all night. Jesus told them, okay, this is where you're at. Jesus said, this is your also me. I want you to go to your me. And right in the middle, in between where they were and where they were going, they encountered great difficulty and they were painfully making progress. The wind was against them. The waves were against them. These guys are not lazy, by the way. The Bible's not judging them for being lazy. They're not, they're not slackers. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not low on faith. They're not, uh, they're, they're not bad people. They are, if anything, they're being faithful to what Jesus told them to do. So, man, I applaud people who eight hours later are still out there in the water rowing as hard as they possibly can. And I, I know several people, man, they, they're in the middle of the me and the also me, and it's so difficult. And they're fighting and they're doing everything that they know to do. That's the disciples in this moment. Jesus sees them out there. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Well, yeah, he's Jesus. He does weird things like that. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. It's amazing. Sometimes when you're in the middle of, of the me and the also me, when you're in the middle of difficulty, when you're in the middle of a storm, it's hard to figure out. You don't even recognize Jesus. Sometimes you don't even recognize God. God could walk right up next to your boat and you're scared. They, they cry out, they think it's a ghost. It's amazing. You would, think, you would think there'd be a really big difference between Jesus and the devil, right? Like you'd think you'd be able to figure this stuff out, especially if you've been walking with Jesus. But man, when you're in the middle of a storm, sometimes you don't know if this is God or Satan. Sometimes you're like, I, I, uh, I don't know. I literally, like he's walking along here. I mean, that's pretty impressive, but maybe it's the devil. Maybe he's trying to, you know, trick us. Maybe he's come to flip our boat, you know? That's all we need. The devil come up and just put his foot in our boat and like, man, we're, we're done for. So they cry out for fear. They don't know if it's God or the devil and they're crying out. And, and immediately Jesus speaks to them and says, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. He's, he's constantly telling us that. Do, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, 
command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. <laughs> the Bible's crazy. When he, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Let that sink in for just a minute. He walked on the water. Sometimes like we read scripture, we're like, yeah, you know, I did that last week in my cousin's pool. I think I was a, no, he walked on, like Peter walked on the water. Pete, he's just a regular average, he's not Jesus. He wasn't born with a hypostatical union. He's not the God man, the theanthropos. No, he is Pete, like Peter. He's just a regular guy. And he gets out of the boat and he walks on the water to go to Jesus, the only person in recorded history to have such an experience. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. And so he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. I want to dissect the story just briefly um, to bring to you another truth about the me and the also me. Peter is on his way, right? And he's on his way to being the me that Jesus sees in him. And we see that because he steps out. He's the only one in the whole group of disciples who says, who, who walks on water. Like, I, that could be the whole sermon. Like, how to walk on water. That's my sermon. Like, this is insane. Like, you know, this doesn't happen every day. This is crazy. Peter walks on water. And so obviously the dude is, is I mean, he's, he's going somewhere. You know I mean? We're getting a building. He walked on water. Like, like, I mean, I'm excited about a bill, signing a lease. I've always been surprised though when people congratulate you for signing your life away. I've always been interested in that. I'm like, that's an expensive day. I, I feel like I should be con congratulating the, the guy who took all my money, you know, because he just got a little richer today, you know? Like, like, but walking on water, that, that's something. That's impressive. A building, that, yeah, that's nice. But this guy is walking on water and, and, and he's obviously progressing in his faith. Like I've never walked on water. I don't think Benny Hinn ever walked on water. I don't know anybody who's ever walked on water. This guy is progressing in his faith. Clearly, he's doing, he's going, this, this dude's going somewhere. He's doing something. But, 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 but he's, he still, I can still relate to him because he sank. So I'm glad he sank so I can relate to him. So like, oh, I've been there, okay. Uh, I've tried, I tried to walk on water. I got, I got this, I, I, I can relate to, and Peter is the kind of guy that we can relate to because he has all this potential, but at the same time, he's growing, he's getting, uh, he's getting better, he's learning. Hopefully we're all learning and, and he's in the middle and they're in the middle of this, of this sea. They're in the middle of difficulty and, and they're trying their best and Jesus comes to them. And, and in Peter's, Peter's response to Jesus has always been fascinating to me. Peter calls out and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. It's always struck me as an odd, an odd way to judge if it's Jesus or not. You know, I mean, if I was Peter, it's like, there's no way I would say that because it, cause if it's the devil, he'd just be like, sure, Pete, come on out and walk on the water. 
And Pete steps out and he just sinks, you know? And the devil has a good laugh, like, you know? Like, what does this prove exactly? I've always kind of thought it was weird because I'm like, man, if I'm sitting in the boat and I see a guy walking on the water and I'm wondering, is this Jesus or is it the devil? I'm going to be like, okay, what did Jesus have for dinner last night? The devil probably wasn't paying attention. So I know because I was with him. So, you know, I'm going to quiz him. Like, let's ask him, let's ask him some Bible verse questions. How many, how many feathers are on the wings of a cherubim? Something, you know, something only Jesus would know. Like, you know, Jesus is, okay, I, I'm, I'm, hold on. I'm thinking a little Bible trivia for you. You know, it's, I mean, because like, why am I going to get out of the boat to test if he's Jesus or not? Shouldn't he have to do something to show me? And it's kind of funny because that's also what the devil did when the devil came across Jesus. He said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Do something, do something else. Like I see you're walking on the water. That's pretty cool. But could you do something else? Just one more thing. There's one more thing to show me. Like call fire down, turn this ocean into wine. I mean, you're kind of good at that. I don't know. Something, do something else. You've done something but now I need you to do like one more really, really cool thing so that I can tell if you are Jesus or not. And I think sometimes this is the way we approach God in our boat, in the middle of our difficulty, in the, when we're stuck and Jesus comes to us and we're like, oh, I'm not really sure if that's Jesus or not. I mean, he did die on the cross and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that's kind of cool, but I really need him to do something else. Like, like, could you just do something else? Like something a little bit bigger, more impressive. Like, you know, I got this cold. If you could heal me of this cold, that'd be awesome. You know, like that's what I'm talking about. I mean, if I was Peter, I'd be like, hey, you know what? If it's Jesus, how about you turn off the storm right now? Or better yet, come behind the boat and push. I'm tired of rowing all day. Could you just give us a little push? Obviously, you're fine with walking on this stuff. Why don't you push us to the other side? If it's Jesus, help me out. So many times the, 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 the if that we place on God is if you are real, if you do love me, if you are who you say you are, then do something else for me. Let me see it. Let me, let me feel it. Benefit me in this moment. But I think that's the, that's the secret of Peter's request. He's not asking or demanding that God benefit him. Instead, he is asking, he's asking that Jesus would show who he is by the power that he would do in Peter, not for Peter. He's saying, if you're really Jesus, I know that you are the kind of person that empowers other people, that puts power in other people. And so if you're really God, you will give me the power to do something I've never had the power to do before. If you're really God, you will give me the power to do something because the devil doesn't do that. The devil never does that. The devil never gives power away. He asks for you to submit your power to give up your power to him. He asks for you to relinquish uh, your bravery and your power in your life, but he never gives. Jesus is the only one who gives power. He, he empowers. And so Peter, man, I mean, this is, this is a crazy moment for Pete because he's grown up in a boat. For him, the boat is, is life. That's his life. He was probably born in a boat. His dad was a fisherman. You know, he's out there two years old. His dad's showing him how to row. I mean, he's been in a boat like all his life. 
He knows boats. He knows how to live in boats. He knows how to survive in boats. Why do you think he's so determined for, he's been out there like in eight hours, he's been rowing and making progress painfully, but he, I mean, he knows boats. He, 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 and yet he says to Jesus, command me to step out of my boat and come to where you are. And this is one of the keys to, to finding your potential. Uh, last week we talked about how your potential is not permanent. You gotta, you gotta come back sometimes. This week I wanna talk to you about how potential requires patience. Requires patience. You need to be patient with yourself. You need to be patient with the process. You need to be patient with others. Sometimes you need to be patient with God. God's not moving as fast as you would like. To find your potential, it's gonna require some patience. And part of patience is, is thinking outside of your boat, out of the boat thinking. <laughs> you gotta have some out of the boat thinking. You gotta have some thinking that, that stretches beyond your previous experience. And Peter says, you know, I, I know boats, I know all about boats, but Jesus is not in a boat. And if that's Jesus, see a boat is just to help you survive on the water. But if you can walk on the water, you don't need a boat. <laughs> and, so, and so Jesus is now challenging him to the, the me that he sees in him, where you're not relying on an apparatus to keep you afloat, but rather you're relying on power, the power of God to keep you afloat. But we're, we're so used to relying on apparatuses, whether they are relationships or friendships or social media or whatever it may be. We're so used to an always have an, app an, an apparatus, something to sit on, something to hold on to, some, something this is gonna get me from here to there. If I can just work this, if I can just work this, then, then, I, then, then I know how to get across. But the truth is what got you to the middle of the lake is not what's going to get you to the other side. Your apparatus can only get you so far. Your, your marriage can only get you so far. Your friendships can only get you so far. Your determination can only get you so far. And I, and I, understand, I understand being determined because I am very persistent. I'm a determined kind of person. I like to be successful in whatever arena I step into. I wanna be good at it. Right, and so, and so Peter's good at this. He's, all his, he's been building up the muscles, the, 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 the pecs, the, the biceps, the shoulder muscles, the triceps, the lats. I don't really know what those are, but somebody told me about those one time. I don't know, but like he's, he's, he's bulking up, you know what I'm saying? Like, but, but, but think about it. He's, he's like one of the guys in the gym. They always do upper body, but they never do squats. <laughs> I, 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 the Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine as a fisherman, his primary thing is upper body in a boat rowing all his life. And so he's like chicken legs, you know, like he's walking around. He's like this big guy up here. And yet he's like got these chicken legs. And so, but that's fine because his, the muscles that he has grown throughout his experience has prepared him for the experiences that he's been in. And that's true about your life. The muscles you have developed in your life have prepared you for the exact place you are in your life, which is wonderful if you want to stay there. But this is why it's so hard to change. Because when Peter says, call to me to have me come out of the boat, that means he has to put down the oar that he's, he's been using all of his life. And he has to step out of the boat. And now the very thing that used to help him, all of his bulk up top, is now hurting him because he doesn't need muscles now. He needs balance. Because the ground that he's walking on is literally going like this. And, 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 and chicken legs have got to figure out how to surf. 
Because you're walking on water, man. Like now you're, now you're, now it's balance. It's not about strength at all. It's balance, Daniel, son, balance. <laughs> like that's, like that's what it is. And, 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 and that's what God, that's what God does all the time. Just about the time you get good at something. It stops working. And he calls you to get out of your boat. You, this, 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 this should be apparent to you if you've lived more than five minutes. Uh, just simply life ought to teach this to you. For instance, like when you're little, you're bad at everything. You're awful at it. You're not smart. I mean, your parents say you're smart, but they mean smart for a kid. They don't actually mean smart. Like when you're little, like you really, like that's why little kids are so gullible because they're so used to being the least knowledgeable person in the room. Like if you tell them something, they just imagine, well, he knows what he's talking about. You know, and because kids literally don't know anything. They step into the world completely blind, unaware, like, and, and they're just not good at stuff. You're never good at stuff the first time you do it, the first 10 times you do it. I don't care if you're Michael Jordan, you're not good at basketball the first time you play. Like you, nobody's just naturally really good at stuff. And kids are the same way. They're bad at everything. But over time, you get good at things. Right? You figure some stuff out. You learn some things. You get good. And then you become an adolescent. And that's why when you're an adolescent, you think you know everything. Because you figured out how to brush your teeth and comb your hair in the morning. You obviously are a genius now. You can tell your parents how to parent. You can tell the president how to govern. You, I mean, you, they ought to just elect you to be the president because you know everything about everything. And that's the crazy thing about humans is like, as soon as we get good at like one thing, we just think we're awesome. We're like, yeah, what? I made my bed today. How's that? Like, never mind the fact that like your parents have been feeding you for the past 12 years. No, no, that doesn't count for anything. You like, you, you know all about this stuff. You got it figured out and that's fine. You, 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 you go ahead and think that. But then when you graduate high school and people look at you and say, what's, what's your major going to be? And you have that deer in the headlights look like major? What do you mean? Yeah, you know, the thing you're going to study for the next three years and then do for the next 40 years of your life. What are you going to do? They're like, um, um, yeah, uh, uh. And then, and then you go to college and life has a way of hitting you and humbling you. You know what I mean? Because you thought you knew everything when you are in high school. That's because those classes were easy, dude. Now you get to real classes that actually are trying to teach you something and it's difficult. And you're up trying to study and you can't keep up and you're trying to hold down a job and eat ramen noodles for dinner, breakfast, and lunch with butter or however you can make it cool. You know what I'm saying? Like you just, like it's difficult. Life has a way of hitting you and humbling you because you're not good at this. Like, and it, this is God's way of getting into your brain that you need him. Every season of life is supposed to shake you and awake you, to hit you and to humble you. And you're like, man, I, and just about the time you get good at that, you know, at, at living on your own, you fall in love with somebody and you get married. At least that's what happened for me just about the time I was good at living on my own, I married someone and started living with someone else, which is, which is, which is lovely and sweet and wonderful. Um, until you go into the bathroom one day and you go to, and, and you go to get some toilet paper and you're, and you're doing this and nothing's, nothing's coming, you know, and that's when you realize that I, you know, I thought I married a good Christian girl, but 
Apparently she's a part of this satanic cult that turns toilet paper around backward. It doesn't go over, it goes under. Like, I'm sorry, you shouldn't have to like do this to get toilet paper. Like, you know, spin it, try to catch it before it crashes to its death, you know? Like, that's not normal. There's something wrong with you, honey. You got to figure this out. And so, you know, trying to live with somebody, man, that, that was actually the least of our problems. But you're not good at it. And, you, and, you, and, and, and that's what's so difficult. That's why people get stuck. That's why people don't become the me that God's called them to be. It's because we only want to fight the battles we think we are equipped for. And it's tricky to step into an arena and you don't have the weapons and you got to go get the weapons. Right? And you're married and you got to go get counseling. And you're married, you go talk to the pastor. You got to get therapy. Figure out how to live with this other person who thinks completely different than you. You got to go get the tools that you don't have. If, 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 if you want to stay in this, if you want to fight for this. And so you do. You do everything that you can do. And after a while, if you get really good at it, you have kids. <laughs> and then you're awful again. Like for real, like our first, like when we had Madden, okay, we had her at a birthing center because um, our house was, we lived too far out in the country. And so we had these midwives. We stayed at their birthing center. Um, Roe pushed her out. No, no drugs, nothing, like not even a Tylenol. She had Madden at about nine o'clock at night. And um, the, the, the midwives did their thing. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to leave the key here. And you guys just lock up when you leave in the morning. And I was like, what? Lock up when I, what are you talking about? Like, I th aren't you going to stay with me? Like, you guys can stay over in that room. We'll be in this room. Like, we don't know what to do with a little human. Like, I'm about to call CPS on myself. Like, I don't know. I don't, like, they should not allow me to take care of this kid. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I just got the marriage thing down. I don't know what to do with it. I can't even hold this thing right. You know, her head keeps like flopping and stuff. Like, like hold your head up. Like, come on. Like, what in the world? Like the next day I went out there, I, you know, we, you know, first time parents, we had bought a, a, a car seat, you know. And so I'm trying, I got two degrees and a minor in New Testament Greek. And I'm out there for 30 minutes trying to hook up this car seat because it's got like 30 latches and like 15 straps and like a thumbprint thing with a locked door and a laser guarded, all this stuff. I'm like, what are we sending this kid to the moon? I mean, do they really have to be strapped in this much? Is this really? And I'm trying to like pull this and shove that and grab that. And finally, at 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, we're ready to go. And so we get mad and we tuck her in there. I drive my, my left hand's on the 10, my right hand's on the two, you know, I'm like making corners like this, you know, cause you're bad at it. You step into anything new, you're going to be bad at it. Kids don't tell you when they need a diaper change. You'd think you'd smell it, but there's so many other funky smells in the house. Now that the kids are on, like, you can't smell Like you don't, you'd lose your sense of smell for like three years. I don't know when it needs a diaper. You just got to like check, you know, all the time. Always checking. It's like, you, you're just bad at these things. And, and, and I mean, I mean Ro would tell me, she's like, so I don't, I, like, I don't know if I was dreaming last night or if it was real, but I was like, I think I fed Madden. I'm like, you don't know if you're dreaming or awake. This is a problem. She's a human. Like, it's not like, it's not like, you know, wandering to the fridge and getting a soda or something. You drop that, okay, fine. But you drop her, she's you know, broken for life. Like, we can't do that to Madden. I mean, but you're just bad at stuff. And then, but you know, but you, you, you get better. You get the tools that you need. And about the time you get the tools, you have a second kid. And then it's like, ah, throw him in the back. I think he's good. He's, he's, he's breathing, right? Yeah, he's fine. 
Going to the hospital? Nah, he's fine. 103, 104 is where you go to the hospital. We're at 103. We're fine. We're good. You know what I mean? Because you get better at stuff. And just about the time you get really good at that, you realize you haven't had a conversation with your wife in five years. And you're like, oh man, I thought I was good at that before. Now I've forgotten how to be good at that. And then you go back to therapy, then you go back to counseling. And then just about the time you get good at that, then you have adolescents in the house. And now they're telling you all this stuff and God have mercy on your soul. And, and, and that's life. It's a cycle of constantly stepping into new arenas. And the, the writer of Hebrews taught me this. He said, it said that we, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, which is wonderful, talking about prayer. We can come boldly before the throne of grace in order that we may find grace to help in time of need. And I always thought that there, that meant there would be like these little seasons in your life when you really need God. That's when you need to come boldly. But what I found is that that time of need clause actually means all the time. It actually means every minute of every day. I need God's grace in my life. And you gotta have patience for yourself in that. You gotta, you gotta understand you're stepping into something new. If you're not stepping into something new, you're not moving forward. If you're not doing stuff you're bad at, I'm not saying you should always be bad at You need to learn and figure it out. Go get the tools that you need. Dig into the grace that God has for you. But if you're never feeling like you need grace, then you're not moving forward. You're just, you're just rowing. You're just using the same tools that you've always had. And oftentimes we do that because we, 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 we just want to feel safe. It's a dangerous thing to step out into a new realm. It's a dangerous thing to come into a new church. I, that, that's why we spend so much time and energy welcoming visitors because we understand it's not easy step into a new church, bunch of weirdos that, that you don't know, you know, and they, and they're trying to give you mugs and, and cards and ask you to fill them out. Like I, I get it. Like before we even started the church, our team, we went around and visited a church, a different church every single Sunday so that we would know what it felt like to be like the new people all the time. And it wasn't exactly fun. We didn't know if our kids were going to like it or hate it. You know, it's like, oh, kids go off to their kids church. I hope they don't like, you know, use electric shock treatment on you, you know, because you don't know. You don't, you, you don't know these people. You don't know this place. You don't know what their, what their heart is. You don't know if they're just after your money. So that's why we're, we always, man, we, we, we make it a point to make sure to welcome visitors and new people. Uh, don't, don't give us anything in the offering. Don't serve anywhere. Just come and sit and see what we're all about. Like we're very, very intentional about that because it's difficult stepping out of a boat. It's difficult stepping into a new arena. It's tricky. Because we like safety. We love safety. But if, you're, if you are a parent here, let me just challenge you. Don't, don't teach your kids to need to feel safe. Because the world is not a safe place. It's just not. And, 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 and if you need to feel safe, you will avoid doing things that you need to do to get better. Better than, better than feeling safe, how about we teach our kids how to be brave? Bravery has nothing to do with danger or safety. It has to do with courage, which means I have fear, but I'm going to do it anyway. It is difficult, but it's the right thing, and so I'm going to do it anyway. It's, 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 it's easy to talk about and preach about. It's a little more difficult to live, and I know that from personal experience. Three years ago, our, our house flooded. We had two and a half feet of water in our house 
uh, within 15 minutes. We got uh, 15 inches within 45 minutes of rain. I don't know if you remember that, the, the Halloween floods three, just about three years ago. And our pond, we have a pond right behind our house, behind our old house. <laughs> uh, we've built a new house since then, but our old house, man, it was, it was built in the 70s right on the pond, literally like right next to the pond. And so I woke up to a tornado warning going off on my phone and the kids are in the house and Roe is up at the, at the barn. We live on a hill. So our house is at the bottom of the hill, top of the hill is the, this little barn, this little tin, tin can shed really. And Roe is up there and I look out the window and I, you can't even see the rain's coming down so hard, the wind's so strong and um and so i grabbed the kids i'm like guys we need to go in the bathroom get a mattress and cover ourselves because the tornado's coming a tornado warning means they, they've spotted one it's coming and um i go back into the room to get the mattress and that's when i realized there's water on the floor and i look at the door and water's just pouring in through the through the double doors and so I, 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 I look through the, the, the shade and we're level with the pond. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And so I go around to my room and I quick grab all my shoes and throw them on the bed because you got, you got priorities. You know what I'm saying? You got to have priorities. You can't just... Rose still a little mad that I didn't get her shoes, but that's because her shoes aren't worth as much as my shoes. I'm thinking about us as a team. You know what I'm saying? I run my hand under my bed looking for my Bible, grab it, my, my iPad and my Bible, throw it up on the bed, and then I grab my laptop, and, and that's it. I put that in a trash bag, grab the kids, grab the dog, grab the cat, and by the time we, we make it out, the water is up to my knees. I killed all the power switches because the water is getting up to the outlets, and things are starting to pop and pop, and it's getting dangerous, and I'm like, we got to get out of here, and we're climbing, literally climbing out there. I, 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 I woke up you know, in my birthday suit and I just put some jeans on and I'm getting pelted with, you know, just rain and stuff. And, and so we, I throw the kids, like Matt and Mike are crying. They're like going berserk and I throw them in the car. We drive up there. We meet Roe. I'm like, we got to get out of here. There's a tornado coming and the house is like things are, it pretty much destroyed almost everything that we had. You have two and a half feet of water coming to your house. It picks up, it picked up our washing machine and moved it five feet. Like it just, it just flips stuff. It's crazy. Water is powerful. And so we're, 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 we're going crazy. We're trying to get out of there. Well, we live on the top of the hill and the road goes down this way and it goes down that way. Both sides were completely flooded. And so we go back to the barn and we're at the highest point in our land and a tornado's coming. And I'm like, this is not good. And so we call 911 and they're like, well, uh, you know, are you in immediate danger? And I'm like, well, it depends on how you define that. I mean, yeah, kind of. And they're like, well, I'm sorry, we can't get to you. And I'm like, okay. And so we're sitting there in the barn. The kids are in their soaking pajamas. I'm in my jeans. Roe is, you know, we're, the, Roe and the kids are covered up with a horse blanket. We, we got some hay. We're sitting there in the barn. And Madden, she's six years old at the time. She looks up at me and she says, Daddy, are we going to die? And it's real because we just, I had no idea my house was about to flood 15 minutes prior to that. And your brain's reeling, trying to figure out, well, did I, what, what all is being destroyed? Where are the important papers? Do we have our, our passports? Like, you know, it's that kind of stuff, you know? And, 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 and Madden says, are we going to die? And it's so tempting to look at a six-year-old and say, no, honey, we're not going to die. Because she'll believe it. It's so tempting to lie to your kids. If, if you don't have kids, you won't understand this, but it's so tempting it's so tempting to lie because sometimes a lie feels better. You know, feels safe. No, honey, I won't let anything happen to you. That's a lie. How the heck am I going to stop a tornado? Like, I couldn't save our house. Clearly, I'm not God. Clearly, I am not in control of what happens to Madden or even myself for that matter. 
It's so easy, it's so tempting just to make them feel safe to tell them lies. But in that moment, man, I decided to be honest. I said, here's the deal. A tornado's coming our way. We're texting our friends to pray. But to be honest, I don't know. And her eyes are like, you know, but it's real. I mean, that's just where we're at. We are at the highest point of land in a little shack and a tornado's coming. I'm not sure, but this is, this is what I know. What I do know is God has always been faithful to me. Ever since I was six years old, invited him into my heart. He's never, he's never forsaken me. He's never left me. And so if we die, I'm gonna to go to heaven and be with him and we're all gonna to go to heaven together. If we live, I'm gonna keep serving him because I believe that he's good whether we live or whether we die. Whether we have a house or whether we don't have a house, whether you have any toys and I have any, any of my stuff, if it's all flooded down there, I still believe God's good. There's something to the courage of being able to face the reality of the situation you're in and not give up on the goodness of God and say, no, I'm gonna, if, if I die, I'm gonna die the way that I lived. I'm gonna die believing that God is doing something awesome here. And if I live, I'm gonna live believing that God is doing something awesome here. And, 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 and to be honest, to have the kind of bravery, to have the kind of humility actually, the kind of humility that says, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not that good at this stuff and I'm going to fail and I'm gonna fall because I am human. To have the same patience with yourself that you have with everybody else. That's called humility because prideful people find it so hard to forgive themselves because they believe that they are so special, they ought to be held to a higher standard. Well, you know, I should have known better. I should have, knock it off, get off your high horse. You, you don't get a free pass at this. You don't, you don't, you're, you're human just like me. You're gonna have to dig for the gold through all the dirt just like I've had to do. You, you, your cross isn't any heavier than anybody else's. Quit acting like you ought to know better because you didn't know better, so deal with it. You didn't do better, so deal with it. Here's, here's what I told somebody this week, that, that God has enough mercy. God has enough mercy to take you where you're at if you have enough humility to come to him as you are. But if you feel like you gotta clean yourself up first, if you feel like you gotta be worthy first, like that's ever gonna happen. But if, you, if, if your pride has told you that you have some way of making yourself presentable and acceptable to God, then, then, then you're not ready for his level of grace. His level of grace is only available to those people who, who are in the middle of, of a windstorm and they cannot go forward. And the only way is to abandon their boat, their apparatus, their self-sufficiency, their can-do-it attitude, their thinking. And this is difficult because a lot of times, for, especially for people who are really smart, your brains have, have gotten you where you're at. You've been able to wrap your head around stuff and that's what helps you survive. But the muscles you've built, you're gonna to have to release those. They're not gonna do you any good here. It's just, it's not gonna help you here. You're not gonna think your way out of this. You're gonna to have to believe your way out of this. And it's a whole nother ball game. It's not muscles now, it's balance and trust. Balance and trust, balance and trust. And actually you're probably better at this than you think. You're probably better at this whole faith thing than you think. You probably haven't called it that. You haven't called it faith. 
But I guarantee you've been putting your faith in something. And that focus, that focus in your mind has changed you. This happens a lot uh, to guys in their, in their 20s. Uh, they, they get to be 20, you know, mid 20s, 27 something. And, and they'll tell me, they'll be like, man, all my life I said, I'm not going to be like my dad. 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 My dad was a drunk. My dad was angry. My dad was absent. My dad was whatever. And they just, they, they've said it over and over. I'm not going to be like my dad. And then they wake up one day and they're like, I am my dad. Right? Well, what is that? That's focus. You are obviously very good at becoming what you focus on. You've been focusing on your dad for the past 20 some years and it's produced your dad in you because what you focus on is what you become. It's the power of faith and the power of focus and it can be misplaced. You take it off of Jesus. Peter, Peter took it off of Jesus and he started focusing on the velocity of the wind and the direction and the power of the wind. And so that suddenly the wind had power over Peter. Whatever your focus is, well, that's where your faith is and that's what has power over you. That's what tells you who to be. And so if you, it's you, you are, you're already good at this. You just been focusing on the wrong thing. You, you've just been focusing on the also me. You've been focusing on what you don't want to be. And what Jesus is calling, Jesus is standing there ready to pull you up. Jesus is ready. If you'll keep your eyes on him and what he says about you, if you'll believe and not have to, not have to reason your way around this, but you can just believe it, just accept it like a child. Because you are a child in this. You got to be born again. You got to start over. You got to be bad at this for a while to figure this out. You got to step into this new arena. But if you have the humility to to confess that you don't have what you need, if you have the humility to confess you don't have what you need, I promise God will show you where to get it. Because He wants you to get across to the other side. This isn't a big cruel joke. He wants you to step into the me that he has planned for you all along. And that's what happened when Jesus got in the boat, the storm calmed. And uh, one other gospel writer said that they got there immediately, like, like miraculously, they just appeared on the other side because that's what God wants for you. He wants you to reach that place. He's not teasing you. He's putting it out in front of you is saying, this is an option. You can do this if you have the humility to come in unarmed say, I got to find a sword. I got to find a shield. I got to get some tools. I, I don't know what these tools are, but I got to get them. It does take humility though. It's the entry fee to the next level.